third epistle of John and verse uh, 3. Just need to, I was asked to revisit a few verses that we read somewhere else earlier this year. I haven't got a clue where really. But um, verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now this is an interesting verse and it's not a throwaway line. John said, I wish above all things. Not just some added extra, some little bonus, something would be nice once you've attended to everything else. He said, I wish above all things that you prosper. And what a wonderful life it is in the Lord. The Lord has prospered us. He's developed our lives. We looked at where we were and where we are now. And hallelujah, we might be on a journey going, but where we've come from to where we are now is just a, a world's apart for the majority of people. And those that uh, haven't seen this development in their life through the Lord as yet, you keep praying, it will happen. The Lord has promised, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health. He doesn't want us to be sickly. Of course, the rider is, uh, even as your soul prospers. Uh, and we need to uh, consider that aspect of it as well. A lot of churches call people in, they promise them the world, but they don't talk about their soul prospering. They're talking about their physical, their natural means uh, growing and developing, even as your soul prospers. And Jesus, you know, in John chapter 10, uh, uh, verse 10, the last part of that verse, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. You know, we're in a position where there's wonderful, wonderful promises and we take hold of those. We live by them. The Lord wants you to have an abundant life, not miserable, not missing out, an abundant life. That's the words of Jesus. And go back to Deuteronomy 28. Verse 2, Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, and he says, And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. Wonderful blessings. This chapter is all about the blessings of God. And it says they will overtake you. Not just a sprinkling here and there, just running faster than you are. The Lord's providing blessings at a more rapid rate than you can use them up. They're going to overtake you. Blessed, he said, will you be in the city, in the field, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your ground, on your, sto- your flocks and everywhere, the basket, the store, when you're coming in, when you're going out, everywhere, every aspect of your life, the Lord wants to bless. With a magnitude of blessings that will overtake you. Verse uh, 13 says... The Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only and shall not be beneath. If you shall hearken unto the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them. The head and not the tail. Our Bible, the Word of God, is full of magnificent prophecies, uh, promises for you and I about our life. It's not just about the world to come. It's about the life now, an abundant life, a blessed life. We need to be aware of these verses, and we are. The problem for some people, of course, is they're the only verses that they look at. We don't want to uh, um, put them to one side. We want to gormandize these verses. This is the promise of our loving Father. He wants to bless you. 
Verse 15, of course, it says, but. If you don't listen to the voice of your God, you're in trouble. Um, And again, he wants to bless you above all things, even as your soul prospers. And we must walk according to the word of the Lord. And if we do, these blessings will be uh, uppermost in our life. Let's go to Psalm 1. Tells us in the first verse about uh, the blessed man, where he walks and where he stands and where he sits and what his delight is in, in the law of the Lord. He loves to read his Bible. He, she, they love the fellowship. They love to listen about the words of the Lord. In his Lord, as he meditate day and night, we don't uh, go on holidays in our thoughts about our Lord. But verse 3, this blessed person shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And here's his word again. The Lord's talking about prosperity for us. God wants to bless us. We should expect it. We sing choruses, he lifted me up from the deep miry clay. Once I was lost and now I'm found. These are just marvellous thoughts that we sustain ourselves with all the time. We're seated in heavenly places. Chorus 74, life is wonderful. And so many churches get onto these thoughts. They finish up with a prosperity doctrine. And uh, what they're saying is right because the Lord really does want to bless us above and beyond what we can think and imagine. But... Let's go to Hebrews 10. No, it's 38, just for the sake of time. 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. Now, not yesterday and not tomorrow, but now the just shall live by faith. And that's what I want to think about tonight, living by faith. We surround ourselves with many things, many comforts. We have all the trappings in the house to wash the dishes and and the clothes and water the lawns automatically. And if people still do that sort of thing, it's not what we do in Cooperpedia very often. But um, people have all these home comforts and conveniences. People have got all their investments People have got properties. People have got superannuation funds. The headlines in the paper yesterday, super funds doubled in the last couple of years or something. Everything's going wonderfully well. People have organised their retirement. They bought a place somewhere and, and when they're not able to work, it's all set up so they can maintain the same sort of lifestyle. The village is selected, everything's organised even to the point where they probably even selected and paid for a grave site so there won't be a burden upon anybody at all. They're all organised. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be practical at all. We should be responsible. But how much time should we be spending looking after the future? Now the just shall live by faith. The very mechanism 
that the Lord's given unto us to live spiritually, it seems to me that we spend most of our life fighting against. If you want to live spiritually, you live by faith. And we spend so much of our time and effort surrounding ourselves with the things of this world to be prosperous and and settled so that we don't have to live by faith anymore. It's crazy. Romans 12, um, verse 11, it says, not slothful in business. Of course, we must be diligent in all that we do. Not slothful in business, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Three things all mixed into one little verse there. Talks about our life, our, our, our working life and what we're doing and our planning and our preparations, all that sort of thing. We shouldn't be half-hearted about anything at all. Don't be a slacker. Well, you might be without a shovel soon. Uh, not slothful in business. And some people, well, they're not quite getting it. They think, oh, well, the Lord will provide, so they don't do anything. I'm not for a moment suggesting that we shouldn't organize things. We should. We should be very careful and thoughtful about all that we do. But tonight we're just considering this fact that, that many of us spend a lot of our time making sure that we don't have to live by faith anymore. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When you have to rely upon the Lord, that's when you get the, have to get the, when you're going to get the victories. If you've got nothing to overcome, how can you be an overcomer? And if you're not an overcomer, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And we want to organize our life so there's nothing more to overcome. It's crazy when you think about it. That's the way of the world. That's the advertising, the pressures all around about us continually. We do need to store up in lean seasons, in good seasons for the lean seasons. We do need to budget and organise our finances. Somebody read uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. And whether it is with our our, um, um, things that we have or whether it's spiritual things, we should be dealing with them in in a proper manner. We shouldn't be lackadaisical at all. I don't see how anybody can be all sloppy in one part of their life and 100% flat out spiritually for the Lord. It'd be a split personality to do that. We ought to be diligent and focused in all of our life, every aspect of it. How do we exercise faith? It's just a word uh, people... Christian circles talk about faith and trust and prayer and sort of really doesn't mean very much to many people. I'm not talking about, you know, you flick the switch and you expect the light to come on, you have faith the light's going to come on, or you have faith that when you get into the aeroplane that, um, that there's a computer up the front which can, can guide you to the destination and if the computer fails that there's a real person there to, to, uh, and that he knows what he's doing to bring the plane down safely. Um, I'm not talking about that sort of faith. I'm talking about your faith between you and the Lord. Some of us here this night are really looking to exercise faith. Maybe there's some here with severe diseases or illnesses or sicknesses. Or maybe not quite so uh, serious, but quite troubling. And we need to exercise faith to overcome this. Do we really believe that we can be healed from it? Some of us have got um, maybe financial problems. Maybe we need faith to 
to uh, ask somebody to marry us or to accept a proposal for marriage or whatever. Yeah, these big things. We need a bit of faith. We don't know what the future holds for any one of us in our life. We look to make plans in so many ways and, and we've got to put it to the Lord and step out in faith. If you know what the answer, what you have to do, well, there's no faith involved. And here we are, nervous Nellies, and that's why it's going to be that the Lord comes back because we have to continually now live by faith. We need to extend ourselves to witness. When was the last time you witnessed to somebody? I dare say that everybody in this hall wants to witness. But I suspect there's quite a number of people that were very much like I was when I first came to the Lord, too nervous to witness to somebody. When was the last time that you gave a pamphlet to somebody with the confidence? Go up, I'm going to give this person a pamphlet to invite them. When did you maybe think, I'd like to witness to this person, somebody I know, and, and you want to go to their house and, and give them, give them um, an invitation or a pamphlet or a, or a DVD or whatever and, and find a bit nervous to go and do it? Don't say these things to put anybody down. Hey, for all of us, we're all in the same boat. I guess some people are extroverts and it's no great thing for them to go out and knock on somebody's door. They just revel in it. For other people, for the majority of us, that's a bit nerve-wracking. Not easy for anybody. I wonder, we are talking about Elijah last night, was it? And the child died. And Elijah had to go in and he stretched himself on the child and so on and, and the child raised to the from the dead. I wonder how Elijah was feeling at that stage. Do you think that he thought, ah, oh, this is no worries, I can do this. But do you reckon he went in there with a bit of trepidation? Everybody was expecting Elijah was going to raise up this child, hoping that he would. Hey, but the pressure was on Elijah to step out in faith. Same thing happened to Elisha, didn't it? New Testament, we read about Peter and Tabitha, Dorcas. Everybody's here. They call for Peter because his lover, lovely lady, they all love her, and she died. And they call for Peter. Peter could have thought, said, well, what do you expect me to do? He could have put a half-hearted prayer in. He was under the blowtorch at this time. They were expecting him to exercise faith to raise up this woman. Just because he was Peter didn't make it easy. He had to exercise faith, and so do you and I all the time i guess uh, we expected of jesus with lazarus lazarus come forth he said oh, father i know my father has heard me and and it was there but uh, that was jesus christ the son of god he tells us to walk in his shoes and 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 we we bulk a little bit hey can i do that we know it's there how often do you pray and you've been half-hearted maybe not really expecting to ha- what you're praying for to happen the just shall live by faith now, when I was in Bali, there was a man, Robert. He's about my age. He'd uh, been to a seminary or um, theological college for many years. And anyway, he was baptised uh, last July and then he went back to Flores. And, and then um, recently he, he was very, very sick. They flew him back to Bali and um, they had to hurry up in the car to get him to the hospital because they didn't think he was going to live. And um, they had to take him to another hospital to, uh, to change his blood. And his father-in-law, his son-in-law had to go to the... ATM to pull money out of the out of the bank before the hospital would uh, take him to the other hospital to get the blood uh, transfusion. That's the way it works. You have no money, nothing happens. And um, 
And then he was transported back to the hospital. They asked me to come in there. Now, this man was, they're saying that he's not going to last very long. His, son, his daughter was there and she was terrified. She's been in the Lord for uh, 18 months, just a lovely young sister. Her husband was there and he's worried about his father or worried about his wife. That man's mother was there and they're all, what's going on? There was two other visitors there. One was a pastor from another church and, um, and his wife. And uh, Teddy and William and I went there and <laughs> I'm in the middle of all this. And they're saying, do something. Hmm? The just shall live by faith. Just you put your hand on somebody, just pray, just a gentle little prayer? Or are you looking to exercise faith? When was the last time that you needed to um, exercise faith? Maybe we need to put ourselves in a position where we need to exercise faith because only then can we have a victory and be blessed by the Lord. It's the sort of thing that we, situation we want to avoid because hey, maybe I can't do it. You know the Lord can do it, but what about me? Who am I? We're nobodies. And we're in this position. No different to Elijah and Elisha. You know, many years ago, I, I went to Cooper Pedy in 1983 was when people first received the Holy Spirit up there. And um, in 1984, I, I drove up and down from Adelaide to Cooper Pedy 15 times to minister to these people. It was 300 kilometres of dirt to Port Augusta and 600 kilometres of uh, bitumen to Port Augusta and 600 kilometres of dirt after that to Cooper Pedy. And wonderful blessing to minister to these people, but that was a bit heavy. What am I going to do? And I couldn't leave them. And so I left. I had a couple of partners and I had a dozen people working for me here in Adelaide. And I left and I went to live in a hole in the ground in Cooper Pedy. And um, a woman working with us, a woman 20 years older than I, she said, what's going on, Dean? I said, well, these people have received the Holy Spirit and I, I need to care for them. And she said, there must be another agenda. Nobody would leave the substance for the shadow. What are you doing leaving my home, my church, my family, my business? Everything was here in Adelaide. And to leave it to go out there in the bush with a small little town and everything, I don't know how, it wasn't me, it was only the Lord's faith within, you know. The faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we look back, all of us look back in our life and think, how did I have the courage to do that? If you look at it, maybe you can't do it. But we just stepped out in faith and it's been um, wonderful... Um, wonderful blessing for, for Val and I over all of these years you've stepped out in faith you stepped out in faith when you got baptised you had to humble yourself and come out before everybody and you got baptised I know the day that I was baptised there was a number of us baptised that, that day and there's another brother and I and we're in the change room and um, we got changed. I, I didn't even have the courage to speak to him before or after the baptism. I was petrified what I was doing, so so nervous. And we got changed after the baptism, and he went out, and I was in this room, and I didn't dare come out of the room till the whole hall was cleared. Just terrified about what I was doing, and hey, this was a real step in faith, to leave the Catholic faith that I was in and to get involved in this. Not a light thing. But it's these heavy moments which are the making of every one of us. And all that we're talking about tonight, I guess there's many promises of the Lord. We read those verses, didn't we, about 
The Lord wants to prosper us, and he does in every way. But don't ever let yourself get into a position where you don't have to live by faith anymore. If you do, my advice is to make some adjustments. Get rid of a few things, change things, change your circumstances or whatever, so that you do have to live by faith. Otherwise, you might miss out. Horror. Of course we want to be comfortable. Of course we want easy street. That's what we work for. I worked at, at uh, General Motors uh, for nearly 10 years and I got a promotion. I, I finished up in the internal audit section. And the idea is to check everybody's work and you've got to write up a report at the end of the month. Now, that was the worst six months of my working life, I reckon, because in the internal audit section, you've got to write up uh, all the errors you find and, and you go to lunch with the guys that, uh, that you're working with and then at the end of the month, you've got to write up all their errors. You find something that they've done wrong, well, you want to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, you should fix that up. Maybe there's some deliberate errors, but many, many uh, uh, errors, that, just mistakes. So you tell them, you fix it up, fix it up. When you come to the end of the month, you look at your, sh- your book of all the things to report and there's two lines on there and the boss says, what have you been doing all this month? Was the promotion good or bad? Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 1, Solomon, son of David, made affinity with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. So he's doing a great job. He's building the wall of Jerusalem for fortification. He's building the house of the Lord. That's all great. But before that, he's building his own house. Before that, he's, um, he's um, making affinity with uh, Egypt where they'd come out from. It says, Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer up upon that altar. So Solomon's the king. Renowned, the son of David, who was marvellous king. And um, what a privilege for Solomon to have a father like that. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to keep his society together. He's, he's making affinity and, and compromises all around the place so that the whole society can be in peace and there's no arguments, no domestic strife or anything like that. So he's involved in the Egyptians and he's got the people with the different places of worship, all the different churches, and he goes here and he goes there and he offers a thousand to show he's, he's really, really spiritual man, a thousand burnt offerings. But, verse 5, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon, you're trying to do the right thing. What do you need? What is it that you want? And Solomon said, You have showed unto your servant David my father great mercy according as he walked therefore before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So, Lord, you've done a marvellous thing. You've honoured my father because you gave him the son me and I can continue on the dynasty. And all hail to 
King David is. That's just wonderful. Verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, you have made me, your servant, king instead of David my father. But I am a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. Now I wonder how all the people in the kingdom viewed Solomon. He was the king. He was the one that could do whatever he wanted to do. He was the one who offered a thousand bird offerings. He was their hero. He was the one that was respected. And inside himself he was blubbering jelly. He says to the Lord, I'm only a little child. I don't know how to do this job properly. I guess that's the case with many of us. The Lord says, you're his child. You're his blessed, loved child. And you don't see yourself that way. You see yourself, I don't know how to go out or to come in. I don't know how to walk in faith. I don't know how to organise my life. I don't know how to make decisions. Well, just the same as the Lord came to Solomon, he'd come to us as well and he'll bless us. Verse 8 says, Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Now, Solomon says, Lord, tell me how to know the difference between good and bad. Well, surely that's pretty simple. Good things and bad things. It's um, pretty plain. But I suspect that, that the edges between good and bad was pretty blurred to David, to Solomon, the same as it is today. He was trying to do the right thing, but he found himself offering on these high places. He loved the Lord God of his, of his father, David, and he's out there, thousand burnt offerings on the great high place. He didn't know good and bad. And that's what it's like for us. An apple. It might be a fresh apple, or it might be a rotten apple. A sport. It's great to watch sport and to see God-given talents on display. And we get involved and then we find that the games uh, clash with our meetings. Is sport good or is it bad? There's a downside to all of these things. Money. Everybody's got money problems. Everybody's got money problems. For some people it's not enough money. For some people it's too much money. Everybody's got money problems. And when people pursue this prosperity doctrine, the righteous, the blessed man is going to be prosperous. And when they pursue that, they'll finish up in trouble. I remember many years ago, um, there was a red-headed Irishman that our witness to came along and he had a Spanish wife. And anyway, uh, some might remember the gentleman. But he witnessed to, um, to another man who was a... He'd been through a college and he was a Baptist minister and he was selling real estate. And he said... Um, there's so much money in real estate. I'm working on this for three years, and in three years I'll be set up and I'll never have to work again. In three years I'm making money hand over fist. I've got the church, I've got my house, I've my car, and in three years I'll be right. I'll be set for life. I spoke to him at the end of the three years, and he said, real estate's still growing gangbusters, and another two years, and I can help a lot of other people, and that will be it. He never left that career. 
He had money problems. He had too much money. For some, that's the other way around. And haven't got enough money to buy their tucker. Not sure where the next feed's coming from. It's a problem for all people. Success. Do we want success? We need to be careful. Is success good or bad? Achievement. You try and you're ambitious and you achieve. Is that good or is it bad? Solomon said to the Lord, please tell me, teach me how to discern between good and bad. It all looks sugar-coated and glossy. It's great, but is it good or is it bad? We've got to keep our eyes open. We like comforts. We like conveniences. We have to watch out. We don't become soft and lazy. You finish up the cry of, back in the 90s, was it? Greed is good. And it turns us to Isaiah 5, of course, which uh, we don't need to turn to, but uh, you know where um, Isaiah 5, verse 20, where it says that uh, they'll come where they'll call good evil and evil good, and they'll, they'll put uh, darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, don't know what's good and bad. It seemed pretty plain when you read it, but that was a that was a good uh, thought from request from Solomon, wasn't it, to the Lord? Teach me to understand what's good and what's bad. Some of the things that you might think are good: promotion and success, and in your career and job promotions, all these sorts of things. It may be, but watch out. We've got to keep our eyes open. Of course we want to prosper. Of course we want to get on. The Lord said, even as your soul prospers. He wants it above all things. He doesn't want us to be missing out and miserable. He doesn't want us to be beggars. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to be growing, developing. He wants us to be a testimony to all the people out there. And I see many churches appealing to people to come in because they've got good shows, they've got entertainment and Prosperity. That's all they're they're putting up for people to see. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, I think it is, says that uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient, not all things edify, not all things are a good idea. And the things that we yearn for, maybe we get them through our efforts are the things which stop us from having to live by faith. I was talking about these somewhere and these thoughts and somebody said that rotten pastor was you know, telling me off because I'm being responsible and organising in my life so I'm not being a burden on anybody else. And I'm not talking about that at all. Of course we look to get on. But don't put things, whatever things might be, career, money, relationships, whatever, sport. Don't put anything before the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. You know, we invite the whosoever will into the church. We were talking about it last night with a couple. We go out in the streets and we invite into our church everybody. Now, if we want to have a a happy, well-adjusted a successful place with no problems, why would you go out in the street and invite people in to bring all their problems into your midst? Sounds crazy, doesn't it? If the message which we have is not true, we would finish up with a church full of people that were half dead and unstable. And I see the reverse of that. Of course, there are people all the time battling with little difficulties. 
All of us at different stages of our walk in the Lord. But we go out there and we continually invite people in, bring in all their problems. Some people wouldn't do that. They won't go and talk to the people that are down and outs. They don't want to introduce their problems into our midst. Why should I worry about them? That will interfere with my prospering in my life. There's joy in serving. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. We'd better finish. Ephesians 4. Know your calling, it said, so I thought I'd better say something about that. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> The Lord's not ready to forget your labour of love for him. Ephesians 4 verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That's our calling. To walk with him and we're to walk worthy of that. Circumspectly. We're we're to be aware of what it is to be a child of the living God and what our uh, ambitions are and what our focus is. We need to think about it. That's what we're doing. Know your calling. And it tells us down in verse uh, 11, he gave some. The Lord set the church. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. That comma's not really there after saints. He gave the church for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our calling. We haven't arrived. Anyone can leave the room if you can put your hand up and say, well, I've attained that. That's what we're called to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We've been called towards that. And you're not going to attain that just by pursuing the things of this world. You reach for heaven and the Lord will bless uh, your material needs in this world and probably give you a bit more too. Press down, shaking together. Today's proclamation day, 170 years since they landed, proclaimed South Australia. So we make a proclamation, don't we? To whoever might be here that's not right with the Lord as yet, that you need to do something about it. When June Carter Cash, Johnny Cash's wife, died back in May of 03, I think it was. Um, I don't know. You read all sorts of things about their uh, their faith and so on. I, I don't want to comment on that. But uh, at the funeral, the minister said that uh, June Carter Cash would have wanted her funeral to be a time when some people come to a faith in Jesus Christ. He said, and I maybe can say it here now, there are some people here that are not ready to die. Be warned. Don't postpone the examination of your soul. He said, I can guarantee you'll never run out of excuses for deferring it. But I can also guarantee that you'll run out of time. You need to examine your soul. Where do you stand with the Lord? And maybe that uh, challenge there is for for every one of us, not just for those that don't know the Lord, they're not spirit-filled as yet, but the rest of us. Now the just shall live by faith. And we need to look to 
organise into our life situations where we must live by faith. Not just a half-hearted prayer, finish the prayer and not even remember what we prayed about because it's just going through the motions. You need to organise in your life situations that you have to live by faith. And whether that is extending yourself to go and knock on a door, whether it is to turn down a promotion, whether it is to go out and to help in in, uh, serving the Lord, you need to step out in faith. And when you do, you'll live um, spiritually. One day the trumpet will sound, the final call. That's a calling that you cannot avoid nor ignore. Every one of us has to come to that appointment with the Lord. And don't be caught out with the attraction of this world, the prosperity of this world, that finishes up in, uh, in disaster. Marlon Brando was pretty wealthy, successful, and he said, I've had so much misery in my life from being famous and wealthy. It's a dead-end street. And so, yes, we want to have comforts and conveniences, all the people say, amen, but we also want to make sure that we live by faith. And all the people say, praise the Lord.